A new era is upon us, and Tangent is back with a new limited series hosted by venture capitalist Jeffrey Berman and me, PropTech entrepreneur Edward Cohen. Tangent unites PropTech founders, real estate investors, urban leaders, and passionate creators who are improving our cities and quality of life. Join us to learn how we can solve the present-day challenges in our communities with innovative technology and greater collaboration. We'll examine diverse issues through interviews and conversations where going off on a tangent is encouraged, hoping to help you become a more nuanced thinker and find comfort in data. If you are working on a PropTech solution, a nonprofit, or a small business that makes our cities better and would like your mission featured on our features segment, please email us at tangentcommunity at gmail.com. Hi, welcome to Tangent. I'm Edward Cohen. And I'm Zachary Ahrens. We'll attempt to also be Jeffrey Berman. Two for the price of one. Jeffrey Berman is irreplaceable, but we will surely miss him today. Today on Tangent, we have Stefan Schwab, CEO of Enlighten, a commercial real estate tech platform helping property owners reduce energy use and use their space more efficiently. Hi, Stefan. Guten Morgen. Willkommen im Podcast. Wo findet dich dieser Podcast? <laughs> Thank you. That was, uh, that was amazing. Um, very good German. And uh, hi, Zach. And hi, Ed. Um, great to be here. Um, yeah. That's great. Been practicing for two months without that opening. Anyway, Stefan, so enlightened, you're at the forefront of the present, the future of the workplace and commercial real estate. Before we dive deep into enlightened solutions, please give us a quick overview on, on your background and, and enlightened uh, for our audience. So my, my background is uh, actually German and I really appreciate it that you practiced two months for this uh, nice, nice welcome. It was amazing. I work in the building technologies industry since 2006, and then in 2018, I came over to the United States and got the opportunity to lead uh, Enlighted as a company where we focus on the intersection uh, of people, space, and work. And what we do at this intersection, we make the space more efficient for individuals, we make it more comfortable for individuals, and we also help then um, owners to reduce energy exactly at that intersection because we do a lot of data correlation. Super interesting. So the way I see it is there's there's going to be three pillars to to our conversation here today that tie up to enlightened solution. There's the the hybrid work aspect that you're assisting with return to office plans and and how to design spaces for collaboration and for productivity. Then there's also the sustainability aspect, right? How do we make our buildings more uh, sustainable? How do we reduce our carbon emissions? And then there's the third pillar, which which is connected to the other two, but has to do with operations efficiency, right? What type of lighting do we have and, and what type of technologies are in our buildings? So let's talk about, you know, the, the state of the workplace and how do these three aspects tie up? We can start with first uh, the return to office plan. So how are you helping companies successfully return to office, quote unquote, or design hybrid work uh, era plans? So our technology actually helps to make it as easy as possible for employees to come back to the office, to make the decision when it's the right time to come in. Um, and for example, there's a lot of flexibility, but also in the end, if there's not as much flexibility as you could, as you say, for example, you have two, three specific collaboration days in the office. We help customers to have the space completely redesigned because the purpose of the office compared to what it was three, four years ago has completely changed. And the reason why people come to the office uh, is also at this stage a different one because it is about 
the collaboration piece, uh, what you just said before. And it's also about, again, to create these just, yeah, in-person in connection by accident now, again, because this is what is really missing. When you, when, you, when you bump into someone and have a short conversation, you are able to solve actually many, many things. You, you come up with new ideas, which again, if we all would work just remotely, this is actually not happening. So these, these uh, by accident conversations, this is also what we help our customer that this is actually happening by having people back to the office and also how the office then is designed. And then with, with the technology, what, what we provide as well, we can then also show with data to our clients, what is the part of the office or which space is actually used frequently because actually employees like this space. And actually this feedback is really, really good. So are you, are you measuring how spaces are being used thanks to like sensors, beacon technology, or how are you tracking uh, you know, just building and space usage. It's a combination. And that's what comes back to what I said at the beginning, when we we work at the intersection of people, space and work, because one piece is a workplace experience application where an employee actually maneuvers through the day of work, booking a desk, booking a room, rate the space, the person, was it too hot? Was it too cold? Was it too noisy? Um, and so on. And the other piece is to validate that is our sensors, our sensor technology, because what we see these days is also when employees book a desk, it does not in the end mean that this person shows up at the desk because I come back to this by accident conversation. You might bump into someone in the office and you never go to your desk because you go some somewhere else because this small conversation with your colleague triggered something else and you go, you end up during the day in a meeting room. The sensor then for this book desk could figure out that nobody showed up at the desk and you can release the desk again. And then make it available for anyone else because what we see heavily these days as well is that our customers reduce their footprint and uh, go more into a flex desk uh, or a flex office model as well if in case sometimes there even are no desks anymore so in case there are still desks around because sometimes customers go completely into just collaboration spaces no no desks around at all interesting when you mean customers, you mean the end user here, like the tenant of the building, not exactly. the building owner. Okay. It, it depends on who is the customer there, because sometimes you have owner occupied, sometimes you have a tenant in a in a multi uh, multi tenant building, and so on. Um, so it's always then in the end, uh, yes, the end user. In terms of measuring success, right? So let's say you are like success around productivity or on space usage, right? So you're saying that you're collecting data, you're collecting how people uh, are using the space but how are, how can we like measure success in terms of you know the space is being used more efficiently or the team is improving productivity because of how the space is designed like how how can we measure uh, this success in the new hybrid work era I mean, many companies like ours, we do employee engagement service. So you get feedback on a quarterly basis from employees. What do they like? What don't they like? So these days, a lot is around the hybrid work model. The, the days you spend in the office, how helpful are they, what is missing and so on. So this is one part of the feedback. The other part is, um, I think many leaders these days, when you just follow announcements, you follow social media, are actually asking employees back to the office for the reason is that this in-person collaboration is not happening and they relate that to efficiency and to innovation. What we have seen, especially where we were fully remote, that a lot of our industrial clients their filing for patents went down significantly, which is for me actually something where you can measure that innovation goes down because you file less patents because to 
be innovative and create new things in a remote environment is a heavier lift compared to when you have this in-office collaboration days where you actually you do whiteboarding, you 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 can shout out ideas, and this is still very very difficult in a remote area. And again, coming back, the proof point was, and now the positive thing would be you could see actually patents or filed patents would go up again with my specific example here. So these are two specific things where you can measure the feedback from employees and on the other side, how innovative is the company by filed patents. But Stefan, let me just challenge that for a second because I consider myself extraordinarily innovative and I've never filed a single patent in my entire career. And so Metaprop is a venture capital firm and we are effectively what's now referred to as knowledge workers. And so we don't produce anything. We take money from one place and we give it to people, right? Other, another place. We move money around effectively. So how would you measure a productivity analysis for a firm like Metaprop of an in-office culture versus a fully remote culture? Is it number of investments we would make? Is it quality of the investments keep in mind we don't know the quality of the investments we make until 10 years after we make the investments in some cases so can you walk me through the patent example is neat and tidy but can you walk us through the value prop if you're selling to a firm that doesn't produce any hard goods doesn't file anything is more challenging to sort of show necessarily uh hard kpis like that yeah, thanks, Zach. I think you gave me now an extreme example, because even if you then don't see the outcome in 10 years, it's, I believe, pretty challenging to put their hard figures uh, next to it. And again, you, you said it also, you just jumped in at the right point in time, because I was just about to say that the example I've given with patents is related to a hardware company. Where you file where, where you file the patents and i think also we have to differentiate with software companies or uh, the financial industry what you just said um or your example here and this is this is actually more difficult and there we do it with our customers we do it more on the employee engagement part where we really measure our employees engaged are they able for example with one customer we see a huge drop with new starters at the beginning so because they don't get a connection to the company again it's not a financial result this is really then about the culture of a company are newcomers actually able to onboard also culturally to a company and uh, we see overall in the industry i mean not only we see that i think everybody sees that that it's harder in in a remote world to get new new starters um onboarded fast and very efficient, fast uh, working for the company. And again, in your example, I would do it. And what we do with customers is with feedback from the employees overall. But it also de depends in general, what is the culture of the work culture of the company? Is it fully remote? Is it a hybrid model or is it fully back on site? So we have to differentiate between these different models which are out there today. And the question is, what does the company, what did the company decide for itself, how they want to have this office culture. And then you can determine, okay, what is then the right measurements you put in place later and see if it's working or is it's not working when you cannot do this hard measurement, like in my example with the five patents. So much more complicated, much more emotional also overall these days. And a lot of things is just then also when you hear from leaders, it's a feeling. It's a feeling they have that this is happening and this is not happening. And we are able to provide a certain set of data, again, with feedback, with how people use the space, when they use the space, that you can actually uh, yeah, uh, put some validation against it.
Do you have to integrate with a bunch of other building systems to have your software actually work? No, we would not have to. But actually, if you then, when it ties back into sustainability and into operations of the building, then it totally makes sense to integrate it into other systems because then you get the maximum benefit um, out, of, out of the system. How can you possibly reduce energy in your building if your system doesn't integrate with any of the energy reduction systems within the building? Correct. Then it doesn't. That's the reason I said if you go then beyond the topic of uh, just the culture and how you work, if you really then that you maximize what our portfolio offers to the clients, then an integration and creating a so-called, I don't like the word anymore, smart building, because I think we used it for many years, but really uh, a fully integrated building, then you get the full benefit. Then you drive heavy energy savings because you have a lot of data collected, which make a lot of sense um, how you operate and run the building. So if you could have your top three dream integrations right now, what would they be? Which softwares and hardwares would they be with? So definitely building management system integration, because this is out there a lot. What's your favorite one? Siemens has a great one. They do. I like Schneider better, but uh, Siemens is excellent. <laughs> so I love Siemens. I love Siemens, uh, amazing product. We actually integrate a lot as we are owned by Siemens with our parent company. We integrate a lot into the systems and then we drive major benefits. But again, important these days as well, because we talk a lot about ecosystems. It actually doesn't matter if it's a Siemens system or something else, because there's many systems out there. I think every provider to get the most value out for the user, we need to be open. We need to integrate with whoever is out there to drive the value. And again, as I love Siemens, we also integrate with any any other uh, building management system out there uh, to drive this value. But a good point. So this is a big wish. I mean, and the second wish is actually when we think about workplace experience and integration with access control is also pretty interesting because then again, I talked at the beginning a little bit taking away cognitive load from employees when they come to an office and really remove all the barriers there. So if you have everything actually in one application and you can run your whole day on an application for an employee, then it makes it easier for them to navigate through the whole day. You don't have to think about the patch because you can actually use your smartphone where your app is to, to enter a building. You actually can also uh, use it to get the elevator and you get to the right floor because actually the system knows in which floor you need to get today because you booked the desk and the desk is actually on floor X and it sends you to floor X. When you put your company in, in terms of a competitive matrix, right? The way I view it, there's sort of occupancy sensing. We have a portfolio company called VergeSense. They do that very well. There's what we call tenant engagement and experience. We have a company called HQO that does that uh, very well. Then there's what I would call visitor management. Um, there are players in the space. We don't really have exposure to it. Envoy is a very uh, well-adopted, good piece of software. How do you see your product within that matrix? Are you trying to effectively roll all three of those up and sell direct to the customer? How do you, how do you differentiate yourself in what I see as a relatively crowded marketplace? Yeah, you're completely correct. The major difference is that our IoT and sensor technology is connected to the lights where we drive a lot of energy savings. And this is a major difference when we talk about this crowded market where we are in, which also opens up another sometimes can of worms because we go then also in the lighting market, in the lighting controls piece, which is another, I think we can spend hours on that, how this market is evolving, transforming and, and, and how this market actually plays out overall. But this is the differentiator overall. In the workplace experience, market i mean we did we did an analysis in 21 and for me it was eye-opening maybe others have known it already 
actually in, in the year 21 that there, there were 208 companies out there who had the same value proposition and played in this workplace experience market. So differentiation there is actually how can you drive most value for the customer by integration, make onboarding as seamless as possible and make the end user who uses their application love the application. And then again, spreads the word that this is great. But otherwise, I agree with you. There are many, many uh, vendors out there who, who offer actually the similar or the same thing. And then last but not least, what we found out, integrating our lighting-based IoT solutions plus workplace experience, this combination of the data set is also a differentiator what we can offer because it's a different kind of data set compared to the companies who, who produced that you mentioned before. Again, just because of the, the differences, how we go to market, how we get into the building and that we drive additional energy, save, heavy energy savings by controlling the lights. Yeah, people don't realize lighting is not just for energy saving, it's also for employee wellness, right? If you look at the Well Building Institute and what you need to do to achieve well building certification, you need to have your lighting system smart, you need to have it dovetailing with the circadian rhythms of the employees uh, within the building. So uh, uh, may, it makes a lot of sense uh, uh, to me, your, your differentiator in the market. I mean, this is a great point, what, what you have. And also there, I, I also believe in that, but it's always challenging to explain the, the benefit on the productivity. And you asked the question before, how do you measure that? I think there we are in early stage, we are collecting the data, a lot of data now, but I think when we are a little bit further down the road, we can make far more sense of this data when it comes to how does it help to drive productivity? How does it actually help to drive well-being of employees so that actually, yeah, they, they don't get sick as often as they maybe get today? Things like that. And we, we are learning as we go because this whole industry, in my opinion, yes, got accelerated through COVID, but we are still at the beginning compared to when you look at completely established industries out there. But it's a very, very important point and a very important asset or addition to this whole building market, which now I think goes in a in a different uh, different direction these days with the data we are able to collect now and when we correlate that with other technologies already there in the building with ever rising construction costs and a worsening labor shortage real estate developers find themselves in need of urgent solutions to improve the profitability and viability of their projects what if we could develop homes and entire neighborhoods in days instead of years after 170,000 engineering hours, the team at Cubby Technologies is setting the stage to revolutionize how developers bring buildings to life. Cubby deploys and operates turnkey mobile microfactories on or near construction sites to enable developers to build higher quality buildings with less labor and in less time. Cubby reduces construction costs by building archetypes without the need for skilled labor. Each mobile microfactory can output 200 homes per year, or 430,000 square feet of livable space. Cubby launches these factories with local partners, creating a standalone business to develop high-quality homes at a discount to the market. Could Cubby's microfactory tech help solve the housing crisis? To learn more if Cubby can be a viable solution for your housing development, please visit cubbytechnologies.com. That's C-U-B-Y technologies.com. Stefan, talk about, uh, you know, some of your, your case studies, some of the type of clients you've been helping and also what type of uh, assets, what type of real estate asset classes are 
uh, the most ripe to to adopt uh, enlightened solutions. Just recently, uh, we announced uh, the partnership with WWE, which we are really proud of because it's in the sweet spot of WWE and it's in our sweet spot because it's all about how can data help to drive the targets or to the towards the north star of a WWE, where uh, data over WWE, the, the World Wrestling Entertainment, correct? Entertainment, exactly. In, in in Connecticut here at the East Coast, in their global headquarters, uh, we deployed our, our whole suite. And the whole discussion from the beginning, which makes it so exciting, was about data. It was not about the specific individual sets of technologies. It was really about, so what, they, what the data you can uh, populate for me, how can it drive uh, or how can it help me to achieve my targets in terms of, and we spoke about that before, um, and, and Zach also throw in some things about well-being of employees, experience of the employees in that space. Uh, but then also they have we have sustainability targets we have to meet. Can you help me to achieve this? And actually, this was the sweet spot for us. Again, this intersection of people, space, and work. Our sweet spot was also WWE's sweet spot, which then actually, actually makes us an amazing partnership and a great fit. So very, very proud of that. The next time the Undertaker walks into our ring, will that ring will be LED powered? Will it be sustainable? I mean, you go really far now, but what I can definitely tell you, we will know because we are able then also with the technology to track valuable assets where their valuable assets are. And I learned that uh, these uh, these belts are very, very valuable. So <laughs> able, to, able to locate these belts is actually um, is actually pretty, pretty cool. Edward, can you smell what Stefan is cooking up? I think Stefan is cooking some good stuff up in there. Listen, The Rock crazy huh the, the wwe i feel they're one of the most underrated storytellers of our time yeah they have the rock john cena basically every famous action star now used to be a wrestler in the wwe so everyone in fast and the furious has been in wwe um my, my team actually tried to get me into that and uh, tried to get me a dress yeah it's pretty terrible it's objectively i used to watch it growing up it's subjectively terrible, but there is definitely something quintessentially Americana about it, for sure. I was obsessed growing up, up until I realized that it wasn't real. And then I was like heartbroken. I was the Jew Jewish boy equivalent heartbroken of when I learned that Santa didn't exist. <laughs> I, I still watch it. I mean, I knew it's not, it's fake, but it's not that fake. Like these people are tremendous athletes. They really get hurt. And like... I watched this actually, this is a tangent, I would say, but I watched this really painful documentary about one of the champions. Chris Benoit? The I, Chris I Benoit? The, the I, not Benoit, this is before Benoit. Before we started watching, this guy's name is Iron Sheik, who lost to it's the guy Hulk Hogan first beat. And it was all about, you know, he, he really, he messed up his body pretty bad. And like the idea that these people are just totally acting is, is false. Like I, you can't, just go into the ring and do what they're doing you would you would really really injure yourself um but anyway yeah no congrats on landing landing that account and uh if i think that's a great you know proof point for you and you can go and sell with that case study into a lot of other sort of owner occupied giant campuses where people care about that and to your point the roi in that case can be less necessarily transactional and financial it can be more based on 
things like employee retention and well-being and and culture measurement and things like that and and physical health as well as we were as we were mentioning right because it is, it is a large component in the 70s everybody was getting sick building syndrome because we used to lock them in these buildings turn the heat way up and shut all the windows right and we learned that that is the exact opposite of what we what we should be doing but the problem now is that running HVAC systems to the level of circulation that people desire is um, not environmentally sustainable, right? So we have to figure out how to maintain wellness in the buildings, but also simultaneously maintain sustainability uh, and energy consumption, uh, energy reduction, effectively, initiatives within the building. So, you know, we, we, we definitely uh, applaud you for that. Thanks. I mean, you, you just sparked an, another um not idea, something which I had in mind and which I really like is that companies like WWE, I mean, they're very famous around the world. I mean, regardless where I go and talk now here, I'm in Germany at the moment, they all know WWE and they also watched it. It was called when I grew up, it was WWF still called. And companies like that, if they make inroads into into smart IoT technology to drive exactly what we spoke about before. For me, these are role models and others look for leaders in this market to really drive these things. Because as I said, we are at the still at the beginning here, even with the acceleration through COVID. And if you see then companies who are iconic companies, um, then people look for that and they want to do something similar. And that is, I think, important, especially um, when we, again, for me personally, around the topic of sustainability. Because a lot of times, we use the buzzword sustainability, but then we are missing an action as society because it is still a hard lift. It is also investment. Um, and when times get tough, unfortunately, sustainability gets pushed out a little bit or things which contribute to reduce our CO2 footprint, they get pushed out. And if you have then leaders and companies like WWE and the others out there as well who take this leadership position, others can look out for, I think this is great. This is great for the industry in general, and this will help us to make more and faster um, inroads towards our goals. Super interesting. I mean, we truly live in the most wonderful timeline if the WWE has become the base of climate change fight. Anyway, we welcome them. We welcome everyone that wants to join that fight. It's ironic because they had to change their name from the WWF because of a lawsuit with the World Wildlife Federation. Correct. The panda. I don't know, Stefan, if that, that's the reason they changed the name. So yeah, it would be ironic if they are the savior uh, of the planet. Not the savior <laughs> we wanted, but the savior we deserve. We deserve. 100%. Um, <laughs> Stefan, now... How do we get, I mean, I, I understand why building owners and building users, commercial real estate building owners and users should should care about these things, but how can building owners finance them? What are the incentives? You know, are there any public sector incentives out there either in the US or around the world for these uh, improvements uh, to be done to buildings? Or, you know, how do we really get building owners to care? And the reason why I'm saying this is that we are, one one week after a study uh, predicted that New York City's office sector as a whole will lose 44% uh, of their pre-pandemic value in a matter of six years. And, you know, we see these just predictions coming out every day. And I mean, the special self-servicing cultures are having a party right now. Uh, they're going to be receiving a lot of buildings that their borrowers are not going to be able to pay. Anyway, so how do we get them to care as these buildings are bleeding value? 
you brought out some stats. Um, I also throw in one when you look at vacancy rates of office buildings, then we have a big issue in so-called office class B buildings. Office class A buildings, it's almost stable on a level from the pre-pandemic from or from an occupancy point of view, but occupancy rates uh, in the United States for office class B buildings dropped to um, 60 odd percent, which is which is the problem. So thinking about caring, I think the future and when people want to go into an office, it's about the technology in the office, um, how sustainable is a building. These are the, the offices people look for if they want to collaborate in a certain space. And then if you, if you have now um, not an office class A building, actually, I fear that you are, or I would fear that I'm missing out that people want to want to come to the building, want to sign up a lease in this building. And this will be, will be a challenge for us as a technology provider. It is not as significant how much square footage is out there in general. It's really about how much do people care about this technology, what industry can provide to make this top-notch building where people want to go into, want to co collaborate into, and also which helps to reduce um, energy consumption by using a lot of data, uh, which is populated uh, with this technology installed in the building. I think that's the reason why we need to care about that and we should care about that. And incentives are many out there. If we go around the world, incentives are plenty out there. Sometimes it's even too complicated because there's so many incentives out there and then how you get these incentives is not actually uh, very easy. And sometimes people then just don't do it because it gets too complicated. Uh, but incentives are many, many in different ways out there. How how um, build, building owners can 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 and are able to leverage that. Interesting. Now let's uh, let's look towards the future. Um, you know how and, and this wouldn't be a a technology focused podcast if we didn't ask you about artificial intelligence. But how do you see uh, Internet of Things and and smart building technology evolving over the next five to ten years? You know, talk about some of the opportunities you see ahead. Uh, and if AI plays a, a role in there or is it, I mean, overhyped by now? If it's overhyped, everybody has to decide for her or himself. I would not say it's overhyped if you re if, if you approach it with a grain of salt, in my opinion, because you make your own opinion. I think it has a massive disruption potential, not because so many people signed up for ChatGPT. I think in general, what it can do, and then also we look into how can AI actually help us to be more efficient internally, but also how could it help us with our, combining it with our technology to help our clients again. And I think this is there, it is very powerful. And uh, in my opinion, I'm around in this sector, as I said at the beginning, uh, since uh, 2006. Uh, this has the most disruption potential also for our industry when it's deployed properly, because we also have to be aware, and I mean, there are many voices out there at the moment, um, that we have to be careful with the adaption and that we have to also maybe put some rules in place, how it should be adapted. So let's see what's coming out there, because interesting enough, this is also the big companies who have these voices these days who are actually driving AI um, heavily into all the different segments. So it has massive potential. We, we are testing it at the moment. I'm dreaming at the moment, for example, when we do our installation, how can AI, help, AI actually help that to do the whole commissioning? Because it's, it's actually re repeatable. Can this help us to speed up, to make deployment easier? Because many IoT projects, what I've seen still, have a heavy lift when it also comes to deployment. It makes also customer hesitant to deploy because it's that, that of heavy lift. Can AI help there to take away this, these barriers? Needs to be explored. Again, we are early stage. Even if the adaption rate in JetGPT is that high for, for the industry in general, we need, to, we need to see how this evolves. This is not happening that fast. We always, we always dreamed of and we used the word autonomous building. So actually that the building 
actually is there for you. And if you walk into a building, the building automatically adapts to the person who is in the space and actually makes the space and coming back to the opening of our conversation as comfortable, makes it a well-being space. People can collaborate in there, can grow in the space in general as, as individuals. Um, this is actually my dream. And if we do that... Autonomous buildings. Autonomous building, yeah, exactly. Um, and actually when 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 i think we make this we make this dream come true this will also drive um a, a lot of a lot of things around sustainability reducing uh, reducing energy consumption of buildings which uh, actually buildings as everybody I, i believe nowadays knows because we hear it many times contribute 40% of uh, global uh, co2 output comes from buildings and I think there's a huge ever we have here to to improve i'm definitely more bullish on uh, autonomous buildings and autonomous cars um so i love that i love that vision let's move on to uh the last section of the pod stefan um the future of cities your background i grew up in, in augsburg in bavaria and then um, i had um, several roles in germany and one was saarbrücken stefan so the future of cities you have a i feel a, a unique worldly perspective here you know having grown up in in germany working all over the world and now residing in california so tell us what's one aspect of your city in Germany or your European cities in general that you wish other cities around the world would adopt? Immediate comparison would be between uh, between Europe or Germany and the US. And what I really love in Europe is the ease of public transport and uh, how, how to get around because this makes a huge difference. It saves, again, it saves me a lot of time getting from A to B. And if you're used to it, it's so easy. Uh, yeah. To, to maneuver around, avoid traffic jams and so on. And I think this is something which um, I, I believe that can be done more in the United States. It's starting a little bit now. I see recently there's more, more investments going in, but still, in, uh, still far behind. And then I also want to make the comparison the other way around. Uh, because I worked, I worked in Germany, then I worked a little bit in Singapore, in Australia, now the US. What I really like about the US is how they adapt new technology, how we try out new things. And even if they don't work, then let's fail, fail fast and try something else. And there's in other parts of the world and maybe again, or not maybe now make back the uh, comparison to Germany. There's too much hesitancy here uh, to try out new things. I say here because I'm in Germany at the moment. And I think this is, this, this is what I really love in the US. And that's also the reason why there's so much innovation happening. Um, also also in the US because many things fail, but we try the new things um, and uh, we don't get blamed when things don't really work out. And I think that's necessary really to be to be innovative and to create the future. Absolutely. Well said. I mean, something that has always, I found fascinating is how in the US we're, we're typically very quick to give up uh, on, on, on privacy for the sake of convenience, right? And that's that's a trade-off that that you know everyone decides on their own, and there's no right or wrong necessarily. Whereas in Europe, uh, people are more ready to sacrifice convenience or uh, price being cheap of a service or a product as long as they can keep their privacy and and other values that they care more. So I think, I mean, fundamentally, we do have different histories. Uh, so which is how people develop to have different priorities. But yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you that in terms of incentivizing innovation and, and trying things, and if you're going to fail, fail fast and then move on to, I think, a healthy balance between what, what the U.S.'s official approach and, and what Europe's official approach would be, would be the best way forward. I mean, 
especially now in the in the AI debate that the US, even though they are moving much faster than than in previous times, at least the government in having these conversations with industry leaders, Europe is or is or, I think Italy banned ChatGPT on day two and then like they took it back. So like, how about we find like a, a nice middle ground on the pro innovation side always, but how about we find a, a nice middle ground? Yeah, make ma- makes sense. To your data privacy, I have a, I have an interesting anecdote, which one of my our salespeople told me uh, in a meeting in Germany. So when he walked up to a meeting in Germany, all the 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 clients were on on their phones, and then our salesperson asked, "Hey, uh, you guys, do you use uh, WhatsApp?" And then uh, they, yeah, we're using WhatsApp. And then he said, "Yeah, okay, then we don't have an issue with data privacy. Great, let's talk." Uh, you know, an approach like that, um, and. Uh, that's, That's actually what you said before that um, also privately, um, again, we, I think, make different judgments compared to when it comes uh, to business decision in Europe. And in the US, I see actually there, it's not the case. They make the same decision. Does it help? Does it drive my business? What's the risk? And then more willing to take this amount of risk compared to to Europe. Also for business then. Now, Stefan, last but not least, uh, collaboration superpower. Who would be your dream partner or your dream partnership, dead or alive, for Enlighted? I mean, I liked how SAC challenged me before on uh, on the topic of how to measure um, how to measure the productivity and the well being. So uh, I would love to also collaborate more with SAC in the future. Um, so overall, um, with I mean. I, I talk a lot about ecosystems because for us as a company, it's extremely important uh, because we just, again, we don't we do not do everything what is done in the industry. So we partner a lot. And I think this, this ecosystem thinking and not ecosystem thinking, which we call this in Siemens, um, is very important. So collaboration superpower is really, for me, think about what you can create together and not... How can I maximize uh, my own my own profit for the short term? Really long-term thinking, how can we collaborate? How can we drive value overall together and not in silos? And this also ties back uh, a little bit what we spoke before about smart buildings, what needs to be connected. Uh, I think many things still are too siloed today. They don't talk to each other from a system point of view. Again, same same thing we have now with human beings uh, not being able to collaborate properly anymore because uh, yeah, the office world changed. So we need to also relearn that. So that's my my collaboration superpower: thinking an ecosystem that everybody can win. I like that kumbaya, uh, Stefan Schwab, CEO of Enlighted. Thank you so much for coming on today to the pod. Where can our listeners find you and learn more about Enlighted? So um, you can find Enlighted on www.enlightedinc.com. There's many materials out there. I just spoke about WWE. We have many other case studies uh, where we drive uh, drive value or help our customers to achieve their goals. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy that you connect with me and engage with me. Um, you can also find me on Twitter. You also can find Enlighted and uh, on on LinkedIn and Twitter. So more than happy to get, uh, yeah, to get to get requests to get uh, engaged uh, via these these platforms. And again, physically, you would find me in Santa Clara, in California. Thanks again, Stefan. Thank you for being with us today, Zach Aaron's. Thank you. Danke, dass Sie sich seit genommen haben. How is that? That was amazing. So then let me finish. Uh, vielen, vielen Dank euch beiden. Es war super spannend. Uh, and I would love to do it again. Amazing. Thanks again. Thanks again, Ed. Thanks again, Zach. 
uh, was a lot of fun and very engaging. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate and review Tangent and share the show with a friend. This episode is edited by Daniel Mora and is produced by me, Edward Cohen. Thanks for listening to Tangent and remember, collaboration is our superpower. So stay curious and always be learning.